You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to PTCE's Pharmacy Connect, a podcast focused on continuing education created by pharmacists for pharmacists. PTCE is the leader in pharmacy and managed care education. In these episodes, listeners will be presented with the most recent clinical updates and strategies for implementing into practice. And now, here's our host and founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, this is the founder and the host of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri. I am excited because, you know, one of the goals in 2019 for the Pharmacy Podcast Network was to gather more minds, more pharmacists that were digging into clinical specialty disease states, specific um, conditions that our patients were dealing with, and really vetting out some of the new findings and new information that has come to market in a myriad of ways. I mean, we're, we're talking about a pandemic here, so there's lots happening, and the disease state and conditions that go into that are compounded. So the information that we can bring to you, our listeners, our beloved pharmacists, is very important. I want to welcome Dr. Joseph Sistine. He's a PharmD professor and vice chair of the Department of Clinical Pharmacy and professor at the Department of Family Medicine. He's also the president of National Lipid, the National Lipid Association. Uh, welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast, Dr. Sassine. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And today in this podcast, we're going to address three different things. First, we're going to go over the role of PCSK9 inhibitors according to our 2018 guidelines for management of cholesterol. We'll also discuss pertinent drug information and basically the clinical benefits of these PCSK9 inhibitors when used to treat high cholesterol. And lastly, very importantly, talk about the role of the pharmacist in both education and counseling on these PCSK9 inhibitor medications. So coronary artery disease, extremely serious, a huge impact to uh, the United States and to our, our patients and communities out there. 30.3 million have been diagnosed with this heart disease. And a percentage of adults that are, um, are, are in this category, they say it's 12.1%. You know, Dr. Sassine, that seems like an enormous amount of people that I didn't realize until you and I actually set up the opportunity to really dig into this. I didn't realize the, the seriousness of this. Yes. Heart disease consistently since 1917 and 1918 has been the number one killer in America. So it is important to use the tools that we have, which are evidence-based strategies to mitigate that risk of heart disease, which is basically atherosclerosis. And that involves not only managing high blood pressure and not only smoking cessation and diabetes control, but most importantly, managing high cholesterol. So PCSK9 inhibitors are currently the standard for care for prevention and treatment of coronary artery disease. And despite their widespread use of, of the disease, it remains the leading cause of death worldwide. And a fact that 
that pleads for obviously more development of something proactive and in therapies and and how it's being managed. What, as a pharmacist, uh, can you share for um, for our listeners uh, regarding PCSK9 inhibitors? Well, I guess in a nutshell, treating high cholesterol and lowering specifically LDL cholesterol, which is the atherogenic or bad type of cholesterol, has been known for decades to be our primary treatment strategy. And our real standard of care is statin-based therapy to reduce both LDL cholesterol, but also to reduce the consequence of high cholesterol, which is the development of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. But PCSK9 inhibitors, I'm not calling them new medicines because they've been available for several years now, but they are potent medicines that help augment our current standard of care, which is statin-based therapy, to provide pretty robust reductions in cholesterol, uh, primarily in combination with statin therapy, but under some circumstances, maybe another tool that we have in patients that pose with challenges such as difficult to control disease or a history of intolerance to other standard medicines. So what about the the standard, my father, for example, he's on a statin. So how do they compare to other medications used for hyperlipidemia? That's a great question. It is always important to know that our standard of care is statin-based, which statin medicines are oral medicines, which in a nutshell, decrease our body's ability to make cholesterol. Um, They also have some other effects which result in lowering of cholesterol, specifically LDL cholesterol in the body. So that is is our foundation of care. But the PCSK9 inhibitors were first approved in 2015, and they had a novel and still do a novel mechanism of action. They do result in a decrease in LDL cholesterol, but they do it through a different mechanism. So unlike the statins, again, proven medicines, we have plenty available available for decades, decreased production of cholesterol. These PCSK9 inhibitors actually work on a, an a in vivo process that our body has And that in vivo process is our body's regulatory pathway for actually pulling cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, out of the blood into the liver where it's broken down and used for other processes. These PCSK9 inhibitors basically enhance that process of LDL clearance receptors, pulling LDL out of the blood into the liver where they're broken down. So they allow our body to actually really um, capitalize on that regulation pathway the best. That in combination with statin therapy, which actually decreases production, just represents another complementary combination therapy to significantly lower LDL cholesterol and to mitigate the detrimental effects of LDL cholesterol, which leads to atherosclerosis and things such as heart attacks, forms of coronary artery disease, ischemic stroke, peripheral arterial disease, and basically in a lot of patients, cardiovascular death. So I'm thinking, you know, resources, information, things for us to read and and pharmacists, obviously, to read as clinicians. But then I'm thinking of the cholesterol guidelines that that are published and how our patients and our community should have access to this information. In the 2018 cholesterol guideline, where are these agents recommended and what type of patients are appropriate candidates? Very good question. And these guidelines that we use as our standard of care in the United States are our American Heart Association, American College of 
cardiology in collaboration with other key stakeholder organizations. Um, one of which is the National Lipid Association and the American Pharmacists Association. I was fortunate enough to be on the guideline writing committee. So I, I mentioned that because the guidelines were written in 2018 and they were based on the best available data at that time. So the recommendations that we see in those guidelines, they're still current and they're still important, but they really, they literally reflect the data that were available. So what was the story back in 2018? Well, at that point, we knew that PCSK9 inhibitors, there's two different ones that are available, had been proven when used primarily in combination with statin therapy in high-risk patients. Matter of fact, very high-risk patients for atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, such as patients who have recently had uh, myocardial infarction or an acute coronary syndrome they've been proven in that context to further reduce cardiovascular disease. So when we look to the guidelines, there's two primary populations based on that evidence where these medicines are recommended. Now, the first are your patients that we call secondary prevention. And these are patients that already have the endpoint of atherosclerosis. So they've experienced an acute coronary syndrome or history of an ischemic stroke or have arterial disease. So those forms of atherosclerosis, uh, they're recommended in the context of in those patients, high, very high risk secondary prevention patients, in addition to statin therapy to further reduce cardiovascular disease. Now our guidelines add another wrinkle in there because of cost of medicines that the guidelines indicate and reflect that a PCSK9 inhibitor should be added not only to a statin, but also to ezetimibe, which is another LDL-lowering drug, which basically reduces absorption of cholesterol in the gut, provides a mild reduction LDL cholesterol, but because it's um, been around for years and has some proof long-term that it actually provides long-term benefit, that this augments that combination regimen. So the first primary population are people with secondary prevention status, meaning already established ASCVD on top of established therapies. The second population where the guidelines recommend consideration of PCSK9 inhibitor, it's really similar to how the FDA labels these drugs. And the second population are those people who don't yet have atherosclerotic disease. So no history of a heart attack, no stroke, no PAD, which is peripheral arterial disease but they're primary prevention patients who have what's called severe primary hypercholesterolemia. And what is severe primary hypercholesterolemia? Well, it's patients that have at baseline, meaning you know, without lipid lowering medicines, have very high cholesterol. And we're talking LDL cholesterols in typ typically the average in the United States is about 115 to 120. But these are patients that at baseline have at least a value of 190 or greater, sometimes in the 200s or 300s more commonly. They probably have a genetic disorder called familial hypercholesterolemia. Well, those are severe primary hypercholesterolemia patients. So there's no secondary cause. So it's not a drug or a disease that's causing their LDL to be high. They just are genetically engineered to make a lot of cholesterol. That severe primary hypercholesterolemia population are where we also see PCSK9 inhibitors recommended in addition to a statin and preferably also ezetimibe to further lower LDL cholesterol to a level that will minimize their risk of developing heart disease as they age. I want to kind of unpack this. So, so what are PCSK9 inhibitors as treatment options? Um, what are the proven benefits and risks of PCSK9 inhibitors? Yes. So PCSK9, if you're 
not familiar with that term, it is a protein that circulates in the body and it basically hinders the body's ability to regulate cholesterol and pull it out of the blood into the liver. These PCSK9 inhibitors are fully human monoclonal antibodies that simply bind up that protein and eliminate it from the body through monoclonal antibody technology. So it allows those LDL clearance receptors to function at full capacity and lower LDL cholesterol in the body. And in doing that, they lower cholesterol about 50 to 60% on top of statin therapy. So that's a pretty, we, we hear 50 to 60%, we could probably take one step back and say, wow, that is actually a very high potency treatment option. That's comparable to our highest doses of statins, our high intensity options like a torvastatin or suvastatin. So we're talking about relatively potent medicines at lowering LDL cholesterol. Well, they've been studied in prospective cardiovascular outcomes trials. And what are those? Well, you know, it's really important when we have a drug that's approved by the FDA for high cholesterol to know that it lowers cholesterol. That's sort of question one that needs to be answered. And that's good and important. But it's more important for that drug not just to show that they lower cholesterol, it's more important to prove that that lowering of cholesterol from the drug actually reduces the incidence of cardiovascular events so that we can minimize cardiovascular morbidity and mortality. That's the ultimate question. And that's a standard of care because that's what we know happens with statins. So any new medicines that are introduced to the market have to prove that. The two PCSK9 inhibitors, one is Evolocumab, the other one is Alorocumab, both have what's called those cardiovascular outcomes trials, which means prospectively looking at patients who are eligible for LDL lowering and following them with the PCSK9 inhibitor versus placebo over multiple years to see if that incidence of hard endpoints like cardiovascular events is reduced. So with these two medicines, alirocumab and evolocumab, we have cardiovascular outcome studies. There are two very large ones, and these were considered in the 2018 guidelines. The first one is called the Fourier trial, and it used evolocumab, so one of the two PCSK9 inhibitors, and they enrolled patients, and we're talking a very large population of patients, over 27,000 patients who were considered very high risk because they already had ASCVD and other high-risk conditions. While these patients were already on mostly high-intensity statin therapy, which lowers cholesterol up to 50%. And they were randomized though to either placebo or evolocumab for 2.2 years. And the key of what got patients in this trial is that despite using a high intensity statin in them for the most part, these patients still had either LDL cholesterol values that were 70 or higher, or they use some other lipid markers such as non-HDL cholesterol of 100 or higher. So they had residual risk because they had sort of room to move for further cholesterol modification to reduce their risk of heart disease. Well, in the Fourier trial, randomizing people to placebo or evolocumab over a period of about 2.2 years was the median evaluation point. The incidence of a hard cardiovascular event, so a serious myocardial infarction, stroke, um, or cardiovascular death, those types of endpoints put together as the primary endpoint is re reduced um, at that time frame from about, I'll just give you an estimate, about 11% down to 9%. So a net difference of 2%. And that was clinically significant, statistically significant, with a number need to treat of uh, about 67. So pretty robust reductions in hard endpoints. That was with evolocumab. 
that's a cardiovascular outcome benefit that's demonstrated. We see the same thing with the other PCSK9 inhibitor, alirocumab, and it was a similar type study called Odyssey Outcomes. Similar patient population, they were maybe a little bit higher risk because these patients were soon off of their acute coronary syndrome. So they were hospitalized for a heart attack um, soon within being evaluated in this trial. They had the same kind of situation where they were treated with statin therapy, mostly high intensity statin therapy, but had that residual um, still elevated LDL cholesterol or non-HDL cholesterol or even APOB, another lipid measurement. They had some indicator that they still needed further cholesterol reduction. They were randomized in this trial to placebo alirocumab for 2.8 years and the same kind of findings, almost the same reproducible difference in events after 2.8 years um, with a number needed to treat of 63, meaning that 63 people needed to be treated with the addition of a PCSK9 inhibitor versus placebo to event one hard major adverse cardiovascular event, such as a heart attack, a stroke, or sudden cardiac death. So we do have not only drugs that reduce LDL cholesterol by 50 to 60% in addition to a statin, we have in these high, very high-risk populations proof that over a period of years, in 2.2 to 2.8 years, really isn't that long of a time, hmm. that that investment of time with treatment reduces events. So Dr. Sassine, there is... 328 million Americans and uh, only 311,000 pharmacists out there. And when I think of the opportunity, if I if I think of that P4, if I think of the resident pharmacist, the, the pharmacist that's been in practice for two years, I see opportunity here. I see opportunity for pharmacists to really make an impact to heart disease and cardiovascular disease. How can pharmacists improve patient care related to the management of high cholesterol in the use of these medications? Well, I think you're preaching to the choir because I'm very much an advocate that pharmacists can actually do more, but sometimes the choir needs a dress rehearsal, right? <laughs> so um, sort of gearing up, you know, why is this relevant? Pharmacists, um, and it, it could be any pharmacist who's involved with patient care. We see patients that are at risk for heart disease. This includes pharmacists that work in community settings, pharmacists that work in clinics, and even pharmacists that work in hospitals. There's so many things that we can do, even though we don't have, you know, we still have a limited number of pharmacists and we have a lot of other responsibilities. Providing direct patient care to prevent disease is very important. That's why pharmacists are involved with providing vaccinations to prevent disease. Well, treating high cholesterol is preventive because even in people with established heart disease, we're trying to prevent future harm. So keeping that disease prevention, um, I guess, hat on is very important. There's multiple opportunities. Pharmacists are one of the most, if not the most accessible healthcare provider out there in the United States, especially in rural settings. So we have FaceTime or even voice time with these patients that um, are challenged by the fact that if they have high cholesterol, regardless of whether they have had heart disease or not, if they have high cholesterol, we know that they um, have residual risk for heart disease. However, having high cholesterol is asymptomatic. People don't complain that they feel like their cholesterol is high. So this um, asymptomatic presentation of patients coupled with pharmacists interacting with patients when, when we're actually sometimes as simple as dispensing their refills for their antihypertensives or their diabetes medicines, knowing that they're high risk for heart disease based on those aspects. Um, we see these patients really looking at patients and seeing, ha have we reduced their risk maximally with LDL-lowering therapy? 
is really important. This is where a pharmacist, we can use our knowledge to identify patients. And these are often patients that are already on treatment. We hear this thing called clinical inertia, which is the fact that patients may be on treatment for a condition, but not be at goal or be controlled or maximally um, cardiovascular risk reduced. And elevated LDL cholesterol, which may be above our threshold for where we have maximal reduction in events, um, often presents itself. So pharmacists can actually have a lot of opportunity to improve patient care. First off, by identifying patients who need further LDL lowering. You know, the, the low hanging fruit are your patients that already have disease, like our secondary prevention patients I mentioned. Even if they're on a statin, sometimes that's not enough. They may need to be on high intensity statins. Sometimes patients present um, and they can't use our standard of care. Maybe they're limited to a lower dose of a statin that's not fully reducing their LDL cholesterol, or they can't tolerate that therapy. So as pharmacists, identifying those patients who are suboptimally treated because they're not on enough medicine, or maybe they don't have um, the ability to tolerate the medicines that we would certainly want to use. These are the patients that we should focus in on. Pharmacists can, can um, collaborate with healthcare professionals such as prescribers, like physicians, nurse practitioners, and PAs to get patients the medicines that they need. Sometimes that's as simple as laying out the options and using shared decision-making and maybe sifting through the, the, um, the background noise, which is that patient that comes in and has been already on multiple medicines already and trying to figure out, oh, which ones are still um, available for this person to try to get their LDL lowered. Helping a patient analyze their cholesterol panel is also important and focusing on that LDL cholesterol for the majority of patients to getting it below the acceptable levels that reduce risk. Other times, in addition to identifying patients and facilitating prescribing of appropriate medicines, uh, pharmacists sometimes help out with access to medicines. And this is important because when you talk about the PCSK9 inhibitors, alirocumab or avolocumab, they are monoclonal antibodies. They often require prior authorizations because they are expensive medicines, and they're not exaggeratedly expensive compared to some of our other medicines. We're talking about prices of these drugs that are similar to some of the diabetes medicines that we use on a very frequent basis. So they're in line with that, not as cheap as generics, but um, they are brand name medicines. And pharmacists helping with um, facilitating the prior authorization process, such as, you know, it's as simple sometimes as collecting the most appropriate data via a good medication history, demonstrating what patients are on or have been exposed to in the past, what their current cholesterol values are and what their exact diseases are, are important and help with the prior authorization approval, which are typically required by insurance companies to authorize coverage of these medicines. Another thing that I think is really important, and, and there's two big ones, and this is sort of the hidden, I guess, gem or benefit of a pharmacist. I call pharmacists the best position healthcare professional to be an inheritance coach. What is an inheritance coach? Well, basically, it's, it's a health provider, like a pharmacist, who helps a patient really uh, maximize their strategies to 
adhere with their medication regimen so that they know how to take their statin on a daily basis so that they mitigate any kind and look for eliminating any kind of um, other reasons for patients to miss their medicines. Sometimes those are financial barriers, sometimes there's side effects, sometimes there's perceived issues where patients aren't having a problem but they don't take their medicines because of fear of something happening. We see, we see that more often than we, than we think. Um, and often, just actually working with a patient using shared decision making, asking about the appropriate questions about their particular response to treatments, what their concerns are, what their perceived um, myths and values are regarding using lipid lowering therapy is important to get out in the forefront so that we can dispel any kind of rumors or misgivings that they may have to make them fully deployed to be highly adherent with proven medicines. Sometimes patients don't even know why they're taking their cholesterol-lowering medicine. So that's really important. And the tools that we use, the second part is motivational interviewing skills. And what exactly does that mean? I think some pharmacists think, oh, I, I'm not sure what motivational interviewing is. But I ask those pharmacists to really think back, what, what do you do with your patients that you see that motivates them to come back for their refills? That's motivational interviewing. What kind of uh, conversations that you have that help a patient understand and come to light to why they're being treated the way that they are from a pharmacologic perspective. Um, well, getting inside a patient's, I guess, into their um, thought system on what is important to them. Do patients want to, you know, live to see their grandkids get married or um, live to achieve some other milestone in life, or perhaps they want to live with a higher quality of life. They don't want to be dependent on others to take care of them as they get older. You know, using that and saying, hell, you know, if you are uh, concerned about those things, we have medications that can mitigate that risk of having a cardiovascular event or a stroke, which may limit your livelihood and your ability to be independent. Um, so using those strategies, we, we use this with smoking cessation all the time. Think about the last time that you actually helped a patient and gave them information about weight loss or smoking cessation. You probably used motivational interviewing techniques, trying to understand what works for your patient, what they really want to get out of their therapy, filling in educational gaps with the overall goal of improving their care. So a lot to think about and a lot to unpack. However, I think the, the podcast today and this episode has been very important to us. I think that there are 650,000 deaths based on cardiovascular disease every year, and there's only 311,000 pharmacists. So that should be really an impact statement. If you're listening to this now, you're driving in the car, you're working out, you're jogging, and you're a pharmacist, just think this time next year, based on these statistics, we could we could lose 600,000 plus people to this disease. And I think it's preventable based on pharmacists making an impact because of you seeing your patients 10 times more than primary care does. So in wrapping up today, Dr. Sassine, what would you say is the single most important takeaway for our pharmacists listening in today? I think the single most important thing for hypercholesterolemia is knowing that Maximally reducing LDL cholesterol is a proven strategy to reduce cardiovascular consequence in your patients, whether they're primary or secondary prevention. So knowing that relationship that lower LDL is associated with better health outcomes from a heart health perspective. And secondly, knowing that our treatment options are not just limited to statin therapy. We can augment statin therapy with many other non-statins, 
but the most potent and robust way to do that is through PCSK9 inhibitors that are approved by our FDA for very high risk patients with ASCVD and also in patients with severe primary hypercholesterolemia to further reduce LDL cholesterol, primarily in combination with a statin, but they also are approved by the FDA as monotherapy. So it's one more tool in our chest of options to help our patients live longer, live healthier, and live with a better perspective. Dr. Sistine, I have been so excited about this interview and today's conversation. So much appreciate your time today, and we uh, look forward to having you back in the future. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcast. Your feedback is important to us. Please share with us your thoughts on this episode and other topics you'd like to learn about. Go to pharmacytimes.org forward slash contact and send us a message.